0: Hey, Why God Why family, this is Peter Englert, one of the co-hosts of the show. Unfortunately, on this episode, we had technical difficulties with our audio, but our guest's audio was really, really good. And we felt that the content of this episode was so good that we wanted to keep it as is. So as you listen, we appreciate your patience and your kindness, and we hope that this episode helps you respond to a question that you might not feel comfortable asking in church. welcome to the why got why podcast episode this is peter engler i am one of the co-hosts of the show i am here with our remarkable producer nathan yoder and our illustrious co-host aaron mercer aaron how are you doing today
1: i'm doing very well i'm very excited about this conversation today
0: well, we are bringing John Plake back. This is his second time. Um, John Plake uh, was a professor when I first got to know him. He's also uh, currently working for the American Bible Society. And the question that we're dealing with is, why is it so hard for me to read the Bible, which is based on his recent study? And we've had some conversations about reading the Bible. So yeah, I don't know. Aaron, do you- want to just jump right in
1: yeah i think i think that would be great um i just uh i'm excited about this conversation it's great to have you on the why Y podcast again uh jonathan thanks thanks so much for for that and uh yeah i guess isn't there like a special club for people who've been here
0: at least a couple times or right not? have something do you want to be john do you want to be the alex baldwin of the podcast <laughs> or you know i don't know
2: you know i'll i'm just glad to be with you guys again it's <laughs> great, to, great to have the conversation yeah
0: well, hey, uh, John,
1: could you uh, could you give us a little bit of, you know, I know you've talked with Peter a number of times in the past, um, and in particular on this podcast, but for people like me, could you catch us up a little bit on your past, how you got to uh, where you're at now? And then, you know, I, I definitely want to dig into the data later, but maybe we can just start with a little bit of uh, your story.
2: Yeah, so my background is kind of divided neatly into thirds before I came to American Bible Society. I spent about a third of my career, almost 10 years in pastoral ministry in the Midwest, and then later in missionary service, predominantly in Asia Pacific, but also in some in Latin America, and helping short-term mission teams and even career missionaries understand how culture influences the way we connect people to God's word and to the gospel in general. And then from that, I moved into Christian higher education, actually helping to train future missionaries and uh, became the campus pastor at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri, which is where Peter and I got acquainted with one another through his brother. And so that, w- that was wonderful to be able to sit at the, uh, at the table and have some conversations with him. And we got a chance to reconnect after I came to American Bible Society where I serve as the Director of Ministry Intelligence. That job basically means I stand between the ministry program people who are trying to get God's word into the hands of everybody in the world and help them understand it and engage with it, and the data and metrics people who uh, do all kinds of measurement and analysis and try and understand what's going on in the world, and in this case, particularly in the United States, with regard to people's views of the Bible, of faith, and of the church, and As part of that, I took over a study that has been going on now for 12 years, 13 separate studies, and it's called The State of the Bible. Um, People can access that at stateofthebible.org if they want to know a little bit more about it or download the most recent uh, releases in the study. But it's just our chance to talk to Americans and say, what are you understanding about the Bible? Uh, What are your questions for the Bible? How are you engaging with faith? And so we learn a lot through that study every single year, and I have the privilege of being the executive editor and uh, and kind of principal investigator in that study.
1: Wow, that's so interesting. Um, I, I'm, so I know we're going to talk some more about some of your more recent findings from the state of the Bible, but I'm curious, and I think you got into this a little bit in your previous podcast, uh, but, but, you know, Peter, that was like a year or so ago, right? So can you... Uh, I'm really curious, you know, I, I how did you get from a campus uh, environment, a campus ministry environment to, you know, the data environment? I, I know you're kind of, you said you're acting as a bridge between those worlds right now, which is which is awesome, but, you know, you must have a, a love for data uh, to be even there in the first place. What, what drew you through that direction?
2: I think that's funny. Um, I do not have a love for data. I really don't. I have <laughs> okay. a love for right. people. Um, And to the degree that data allow me to listen to a lot of people at scale and understand the challenges and the issues that they're facing, that's really what data does for me. And my curiosity about these kinds of things started when I was a young associate pastor uh, working in northern Illinois and trying to figure out, are we reaching everybody in our community? Is there anybody that we're missing? And I realized that my college education hadn't really prepared me for that, but I had Mm. questions I couldn't answer. And then when I got into graduate school and was looking toward missionary service, a lot of that training is based around realizing that the people you're going to be serving in another country or culture are different than you are. And so understanding how they're different is really important so you can help connect the gospel to the questions they have and the challenges that they're experiencing. And this is just an extension of that. So again, we recognize that culture changes over time. People have different backgrounds, varied experiences, but they all have questions that I think can be addressed from a a framework that is contained in scripture and how we understand where are the openings for the gospel and where are the openings for God's word and how do we help bridge the gap between 21st century America uh, and you know this first century and earlier book is a really challenging subject and it's what we in missiology call contextualization so how do we make those cultural and factual connections and that's what gets me up every morning and you know helps me uh dig into the data so i can help people
0: man what a what a segue so when you and i were emailing back and forth and You know, I was reading over the report. I probably got in a little deeper and I was like, hey, let's do this question. And you came back and you were very gracious. And he said, you know, Peter, read the intro again. And I read the intro, which is rumbling with reality. And we landed on this question. Why is it so hard for me to read the Bible? Um, So it's funny about this question. I don't think this is a new question, but how about you shed some light to our uh, listeners why this question kind of emerged from this study?
2: I think what sparked the question, and it's a really good and kind of evergreen question, but what sparked it was in between 2021 and 2022, America really experienced a fairly sizable shift in its engagement with God's word. The first Mm -hmm. thing that we saw was a major decrease uh, in the proportion of Americans who say that they Realistically, they use the Bible at least three or four times a year. We call those people Bible users, people who use the Bible on their own less than three times a year. We call non-Bible users. And it's really this metric that we've invented as a way of saying, do you ever reach for the Bible? Do you ever like pick it up off the shelf, or grab your iPhone and you know open U version or whatever your favorite Bible app is? And do, do you ever reach for Scripture or pop a CD in a in a CD player? Do you, oh man, I'm starting to sound old CDs, but uh, <laughs> I still have the Bible on CD. And so, do you ever <laughs> do that and try and engage with God's Word or stream it to you on your device? And we saw this really big drop, and we hadn't been expecting that. What we were hoping we'd report is that the movable middle, this sort of curious Bible exploration group would be growing and continue to grow. It had been on a four-year upward trend. We also were hoping we'd see scripture engagement start to increase. It had been kind of flat for a few years, and we wanted to see more people deeply engaging with God's word. Well, the bad news was that didn't happen. And as we began to dig into the numbers, we realized that there was something more going on in America that was making it harder for people to open God's word and then to live out the faith that's described in God's word. And that was the deeper story of 2022.
0: Mm. So I think what I hear you saying is, you know, many people have struggles with why is it so hard for me to read the Bible? And I think the classical struggles are it's an ancient book. I don't understand it. I don't know if it's relevant. I think what I hear you saying is because you, you mentioned a number of these in there, whether it was the Ukrainian conflict with Russia, whether it was the racial rec- or, um, reckoning, whether it was COVID, like you felt that in this time, those were significant barriers, whereas that and sometimes would actually push people towards the Bible. You felt that that stress might have pushed people away. Am I hearing you right?
2: Yeah, so let's back up a couple of years Uh, when the covid crisis initially happened what we saw is kind of what we would expect to see and that was that as people went into lockdown and things began to change there was a lot more exploration of scripture going on we saw an increase in people exploring the bible maybe not deeply engaging with it even google searches about the bible and biblical topics were up across america and in fact that was happening all around the world and that had been sustained all through uh, the, the COVID pandemic right up until January of 2022, when we saw a reversal of those trends. And it was pretty dramatic as reversals go. In fact, it was so dramatic, we thought we'd done something wrong in the research process. So we went in and checked everything twice and three times, Did, was our methodology messed up? Did we do this wrong or that wrong? And as it turned out, we had actually run two parallel studies. Uh, both of them independent of one another, and they both basically told us the exact same thing. So we realized, no, we, we didn't mess up twice. We, it wasn't the sample. It wasn't the methodology. There's something real going on here. And so as we began to dig into the data, what we discovered was really two things. One was the timing of the study. We were collecting data in the last three weeks of January. Now, I know your time machine might be broken and you don't remember exactly what was happening the last three weeks of January. I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. So um, just to kind of refresh your memory, in the last three weeks of January, the Omicron variant was really starting to pick up across America. And it was particularly hitting in the Midwest and in the southern United States. And these are the areas of the United States where more people traditionally have a connection to church and the Bible. Um, and so they were struggling more perhaps than they would have otherwise. So if church had kind of released, been released from this uh, social distancing or remote and everybody had started to go back, well, now they were, they were regressing. Now, wait a minute, we can't go back to church. Wait a minute. We, we can't work in the food pantry. Wait a minute. We can't volunteer in our community like we'd mm-hmm. to do before. And so what we noticed among, Bible-engaged people, people who really wanted to use the Bible, was that they had a steep decline in the areas of scripture engagement that are about community, about worshiping together with others, about behaving generously with their time and their talent toward others, and about serving others in their community. Often what happens is when people read the Bible, they experience God's voice speaking to them and saying, hey, John, I want you to do something in response to it. And that was the point of frustration. All of that, I want you to do something they couldn't do, Mm -hmm. mostly because of the pandemic and there were no alternative ways. And I think subtly, people began to back away from the Bible a bit. They set it down on the nightstand. Um, They said, you know, I'll come back to it a little bit later. And we really hope that coming up in 2023, when we repeat the study, we're going to see that this trend has reversed. But in the meantime, the reality that we're facing in America is a lot of people who want to not just read the Bible as a form of ritual, but who want to read the Bible and respond to God's voice through it, they're struggling to really get that done.
1: That's so interesting. Um, you know, obviously, it's not necessarily data that you you want to hear, and you're like, "Oh man, what, what what's the reason for that?" Um, I am curious. Backing up, you know, trying to get maybe a broader view here. What was the trajectory that you've seen as far as Bible reading, Bible engagement, on a more macro scale for say the last ten years? Especially like, if in so many ways, twenty 2020, twenty 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 one were blipped in a lot of different ways. Um, they're important to look at. um, But what was the trajectory before and how does what you found so far in 2022 measure up to that?
2: That's a great question. So um, we've been doing the state of the Bible research study since 2011. We have really good data going back that far. And so that Bible users metric that I talked about earlier, people who read the Bible on their own at least three times a year. So not, not a huge bar to cross, that's traditionally been right at 50% of Americans qualify as Bible users. Might be just a little bit below that. It might be just a little bit above it. But for the most part, it's been right around 50%. But in 2022, what we discovered was that it dropped, uh, by 39, it dropped to 39%. Okay. So that's a 10% decrease. It had been 50% before it dropped to 39 and change. And basically what that meant was there were 25 million Americans, almost 26 million Americans who stepped away from the Bible and said, realistically, I'm not picking the Bible up at all. That's a big Mm -hmm. shift, 25 million Americans. Um, The other thing that we noticed was among scripture engaged people that uh, those who consistently interact with the Bible in a way that that shapes their choices and kind of transforms their relationships with God and others, that number had been 64 million Americans in 2021, and it dropped to 49 million Americans in 2022. So people who are curiously exploring the Bible, we call them the movable middle, had been 95 million last year. This year, it dropped to 66 million. So the only category that grew of Americans with regard to the Bible, was the Bible disengaged. Those who mm. realistically don't ever make an attempt to interact with God's word, that group grew from 100 million to 145 million. So those mm. are the big changes.
0: I really I really appreciate how you're doing this. I, you're better with data than I am, but we're the similar And like, if data helps people, I'll look at it. But I, I'm so jealous of my co-host because he just – in data like this but well i actually i have a follow-up on my question can i ask
1: this sure related to the data i mean I'm, i am kind of nerding out a little bit right now is that Oh all right? no peter, peter laughs when i nerd out sometimes but, <laughs> um so i just described it as a potentially you know i'm challenging my own question i described it as a blip um 20 uh the 2020 2021 i am curious you know uh obviously 2022 is we're still in the middle of it right now but how have you seen years like that i know that the, your project obviously is you know it's relatively recent in the grand scheme of data that's out there but um as far as church attendance data things like that in the past if there's been a momentous um trajectory shifting moment in history in the history of our country do you see are are these normally blips, and then they you continue to follow the same course in the data, or is there can there be a a shift? And I know the shift right now, from what you're you're telling us right now, doesn't look doesn't look uh, like something that you know our pastor Peter over here wants to hear about. But but what what have you seen in the past, and you know is there are there what are the possibilities you think there could be for the future?
2: It's an interesting question, Aaron. And I, I always like to start answering questions like this with a big disclaimer. We are researchers, not fortune tellers.
0: So we can't tell you what's
2: going to happen tomorrow. We can tell you a little bit about the trends that have taken place in the past. And so there are a couple things I'd like to highlight here. One is that in the history of doing this kind of research, which is relatively brief in history terms, uh, since 2011, we've never seen a correction of this size ever. Mm -hmm. Of course, we've never had a worldwide pandemic either. So uh, this is a major disruption. The second thing is that uh, people say, well, why do you think um, scripture engagement dropped? In fact, I had a colleague of mine being quite genuine, and, and I think it was a worthwhile question to engage. She was asking us, do you think that what really happened was that older people um, are the ones who are most likely to be scripture engaged and they're also the most likely to die from COVID. And so do you think what really happened was that um, that older people died because of COVID and consequently the number of scripture engaged people in America decreased through death? And so we didn't really think so, but we went in and we dug into the data and what we discovered was it actually wasn't the change wasn't happening in older Americans at all. The change was happening among younger Americans who have school-aged children. So it was happening among millennials mostly. And that was really fascinating to look at. In fact, in the most recent chapter that we came out with in, uh, in May about the faith of our mothers, we discovered that moms are really under stress right now. And dads are under stress. If they have kids at home, they're having trouble finding time to engage with God's word and finding ways to engage with their faith meaningfully. So is it a blip, is it a trend? Um, prior to 2022, we had seen a four year trend of, a, of growth in the movable middle. Mm. A lot more people engaging with scripture. We'd seen a four year decline in people who were Bible disengaged. And so those were both positive trends that have now reversed themselves. Mm. Um, Time will tell, but I think my encouragement to those who are leaders in the church is to simply ask this question. Given the reality that we see right now, how do we show up to serve those who are still looking to God's word for answers to their questions?
0: I'm glad Aaron asked that question. I'm going to come back to my original question, but I think it's fairly important. I think most of our listeners are in their 20s or 30s not all of them are apparent. Um, And you, you know, you made this very powerful comment. You know, you said that it wasn't older people that stopped reading the Bible or God forbid passed away. It's more millennials. And, you know, I, I think how would you respond to the millennials that are listening to this? You know, what did you find in the data that I wouldn't say is encouraging, but I think the church has talked about Bible reading almost as the penultimate um, discipline. And we can kind of get into that, whereas sometimes it comes across as judgment. But how can you how did the data help you emphasize with this generation as they're trying to engage the Bible?
2: You know, the thing I love the most about millennials that where we've done research with them is they want an answer to this basic question why should i care i mean if the bible has something of value to offer me would someone please make the case to me for what that value is and i'm all ears i i'm i'm open but if the bible doesn't have anything of value to offer me then i'll look someplace else now you might think of that as self-serving or pragmatic or you know you can put whatever label on it you want to put but the reality is that I think millennials are very curious about what the Bible has to say. They're curious about Jesus, and they are open to knowing more if people will answer their questions. I think one of the traditional challenges that Bible people have, pastors and church leaders, is we often approach the task of communicating the gospel from the perspective of the Bible. And Mm -hmm. that's not always bad, but at some point you got to connect the dots between the Bible, this ancient book that's not like any other book anybody's ever read, and how do we connect the message of the Bible, the themes of Scripture, the teaching of Scripture, to the questions that people really have about how they live their lives day to day. The Bible is not irrelevant, but the relevance of Scripture is not always apparent to people who aren't familiar with it. And so Mm -hmm. that's the task of communicating the gospel that makes it meaningful and understandable to anyone in any place.
0: So now I want to just follow up to that. Um, So you recently released a chapter about mothers. Um, We have a lot of young mothers that are listening to this podcast. And I'd say some older mothers too. Why don't you go a little bit deeper into kind of the findings and even your, you know, kind of pastoral look into it of, you know, what really this, seem to be a, a group that engaged the Bible consistently, but there is a, a blip and a change. Why don't you go into that one?
2: Yeah, you know, traditionally, um, women with children in the home, we, we actually don't ask the question if you're a mother. What we do is we ask, what's your gender? Are you male or female? And then we ask, are there children under the age of 18 in your home? And then we use that to kind of look at the influence of having children at home. So when we talk about mothers, we're talking about women who have children under the age of 18 who are in their household. So let's just look back to what percentage of women with children in the home uh, were meaningfully scripture engaged um, in, let's say, 2020. Okay, well, that was 33% of women with children in the home were scripture engaged. 28%, or 5% fewer, uh, are scripture engaged if they don't have children in the home. That's in 2020. And that relationship tends to hold historically. Women just do better with children in the home. Uh, Interestingly, fathers do way better with children in the home. So in 2020, men with children in the home, 41% of them, were scripture engaged compared to 22 percent of men without children in the home so there are really big differences for dads but we were releasing this in may so we focused on moms for mother's day okay so that relationship has held you have kids in the home you're more scripture engaged because your faith becomes more important you're asking other questions that maybe you didn't ask when you were younger maybe you didn't have kids maybe you know, you got away from church or, or you were thinking about other things at that point in your life. But when kids come along, our faith tends to become more important to us. But in 2022, the situation has reversed. So for women with children in the home, only 15% are scripture engaged. That's down from 33% in 2020. That's a huge drop. And what about women without children in the home? Twenty four percent are scripture engaged, which is statistically unchanged from where it's been since 2020. So these are really fascinating uh, data points that tell us moms are struggling a bit. In fact, when we asked moms about their stressors, how much stress they were experiencing and put those stressors into categories, we discovered that moms are in the highest stress category on average. And so there's a lot going on that women are having to balance. We've seen this in the news, right? The economic impacts of COVID-19, many women having to leave the workforce simply because they can't balance being the primary educator for their kids and being in school and not knowing when school's going to happen and when it's not going to happen, when can they go to work, when can't they go to work. And these impacts are disproportionately falling on moms who have uh, maybe hourly wage jobs, or you know, they're not they're they're not earning six figures, and they don't get the kind of flexibility that you might get at a job for, at that level. They're younger, earlier in their career, and balancing all of these things. So I have a lot of sympathy for young moms in particular.
1: So you know, that was um, Peter. Thanks for asking that question. That was really interesting. Um, you you had mentioned earlier too uh, that. Uh, ministry leaders need to think about what what they're communicating to get to get people to be interested in the bible again or maybe maybe while they're communicating thinking about well why are they not interested why is the data showing that they're not engaging the bible what what do you see that as you're as you're bridging uh this, this divide between those who are looking at the analytics uh looking at the data and analyzing it and those who are uh the ministry leaders what is missing in their communication what 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 is it that they need to be saying or um, or modeling somehow so that people will will see that there is something important about engaging uh, god's word and engaging the bible on a regular basis
2: yeah aaron what i hear from people in our surveys and i've heard this for several years now is that the question of why should i engage with god's word why should i read the bible People mostly are motivated to read the Bible. Uh, They are very likely to say they wish they read the Bible more. They say they read the Bible to connect with God or for a variety of other reasons. But when we ask them why don't they connect with the Mm -hmm. Bible, it has nothing to do with the why. It has everything to do with the how. So, uh, for instance, I think there's an assumption in the church that people just know how to pick up the Bible, read it, and understand it. But when we've looked at people in the movable middle, and this is 30 to 50% of people who are in church with you every Sunday, uh, depending on the church background that you come from, 30 to 50% of people who are sitting next to you in church are probably not deeply engaging with scripture. So why is that? What, one of the things that they tell us is that the language and the culture of scripture are just foreign to them. Now, for a guy yeah. like me, I've got three seminary degrees. So it's hard for me to remember what it was like when I didn't know what the eye of the needle was or what a mustard seed was or uh, why any of that was relevant to my faith. But there are all of these idiomatic expressions that are going on in scripture that require a certain amount of understanding. I remember when I was teaching at Evangel University, one of my students uh, had gone on to seminary and he was studying advanced Hebrew. And he'd gotten to the place where he was trying to translate the book of Isaiah, which is really, I mean, that's advanced Hebrew, right? So he's digging in, he's trying to advance, uh, trying to translate this scripture. And he said, you know, the problem I'm having is I know all the words, but I still don't know what it means. And that's partly because it's poetic and partly because it's prophetic. But I think we lose track of the fact that even in English, even in the New Living Translation, for instance, or the Good News Translation, when people pick up scripture, they don't automatically know what it means because culturally we've become more distant from the grand story of the Bible. It's just not as easy. You can't ask your second grade school teacher or you can't ask your, you know, your sophomore in high school literature teacher, hey, can you explain this to me? I don't really understand it. Uh, Those things have been Americans have been walled off from access to what scripture means and how it should be applied in their lives. So language and culture is tough. Uh, The format of the Bible is tough. It's not chronological. Uh, Most people don't know what the Tanakh is and it, it, Why should they care? You know, how does that inform the way I read scripture? A lot of people pick up the Bible and they start in Genesis and they get to about Leviticus 18 and they're done. I mean, they they just, (laughs) even if they wanted to read it straight through, they're lost at that point. So understanding the language, the culture of scripture, really, they need a guide. They need someone who can help them start with their own questions and find, responsibly, find answers in scripture to the questions that they have.
0: I, I love where you're going with that. And I actually want to come back to one of my original questions, but Aaron had such a better question anyway. So, you know, you made mention that you thought some of the data was down because people re- were reading the Bible and they couldn't respond. And what I find fascinating about that is as we talk about, you know, just religion in America, <clears throat> it's a little bit more individual. It's and i want to be careful as i i want to be generous about this it's i want to explore what buddhism has to say i want to explore what christianity has to say i want to explore the new age but you know when someone reads the bible and really commits to it there's certain changes that happen in them so i guess how do you kind of manage this tension of we live in this very individualistic society but as people engage the bible They actually become more communal and committed there, and there's certain changes. How do you manage that tension in our culture today?
2: You know, I've said it before in other settings, and maybe to just couch this response, my background is as a professor of intercultural studies. So I I tend to see things in terms of culture. And uh, there's a a wonderful professor from Fuller Seminary, um, and his name's Sherwood Lingenfelter. And Lingenfelter talked about the gospel and um, and culture, and there are different views about the gospel and culture. Does the gospel come alongside culture and make it better? Does the gospel emerge from within culture? Is it shaped by culture, et cetera, et cetera? And uh, Lingenfelter said in a way that I didn't agree with at first, that the gospel is fundamentally against every culture in the world. And every culture in the world is against the gospel. And what he meant by that wasn't that, you know, the gospel's design is to attack every culture or to tear down every culture. But what he was saying was there are things about the gospel that are going to confront issues that are endemic in every culture in society, in every culture in the world. And so it has a prophetic voice. The Bible has a way of putting its finger on me and putting its finger on my culture and the things that I was raised to value and say, you know, in the light of scripture and in the light of God's story, those things maybe aren't the best solution or the best answer. So I think you're right that as people dig into scripture, they are sometimes confronted with changes that they need to make and that they need to consider. And one of those is this sort of hyper individualism that we have in the United States. That said, That's not what's going on here, okay? So why is scripture turning down in 2022? Is it because um, scripture is confronting the individualism in America? No, it's not because of that. It's rather the reverse. It's because people want to read scripture and through it have a sense that God is speaking to them and calling them to engage in their communities in really winsome and helpful ways. And they're frustrated in that engagement. Mm. They, don't, they aren't finding an outlet for their faith because their faith isn't just supposed to be a ritual and their faith isn't just supposed to be something that they think about. They don't worship God between their ears. The long-standing tradition of the church for 2000 years is we worship God with our hands. We serve others on behalf of Christ because Christ has loved us. And so I think that's really where the rub is in America and God willing I think we're going to turn the corner on that. I think I'm trusting that this will be a blip. But at the same time, I know that it won't be if the church doesn't recognize, hey, parents are hurting and people are looking for ways to live out their faith and make sure we're focusing on providing ways for people to live out their faith, even in the midst of a pandemic, providing ways to help moms and dads engage with scripture with their families, even in the midst of all the time pressure that they're experiencing.
0: So I want to just, I want to get practical here. I I want you to take off researcher hat and put on pastoral hat. If we didn't use the why format, you know, you said something about, you know, why is it so hard to read the Bible? It's really a how question. How do I do it? You know, be the guide on the side. And what would you say to people that ask this question, but it's really a how, where would you tell them to start? What would you tell them to do? Where should they go?
2: I think you start where you are. There's no need to um, start with Genesis and end with Revelation. You can start where you are with the questions that you have. Um, Two things are really useful in that regard. There are some wonderful digital tools out there. I love the YouVersion Bible reading app because you can download it and you can search for reading plans about the issues that are important in your life, where you're trying to find what does the Bible say about addiction, or what does the Bible say about relationships, or about parenting, or about whatever the change is that you're going through. So start with where you are. The second thing I'd say is use a guide. Uh, Nobody expects anyone to know where every story is in scripture. You don't have to be able to do that. It's, you know, nobody's taking anything away from you. If you can't remember where you know, uh, I don't know, Daniel in the lion's den is located, or David and Goliath, or if you just don't know where those stories are, but you're looking for them, there are digital tools and guides that can help you. But the third thing I'd say is engage scripture with a friend. Now, what kind of a friend are you looking for? Well, you're looking for a friend who understands the Bible and who lives out a lifestyle that you appreciate, that is Helpful and winsome. In other words, they look like they're winning at life. There are plenty of people who are willing to come alongside you and kind of skip a rock through the Bible, and they've got five favorite passages, and they're going to take you to those things. and And you know, that's that's good. Anytime you get into Scripture, that's good. But if you can find someone who will help you walk through Scripture, find the answers to your questions, and understand the big story of the Bible, um, those are the best steps that you can take. Uh, I guess I got to give one more. And that's this. Um, If the Bible that you have access to is your old family Bible with all the births and marriages recorded in it, and maybe it's written in language that was really familiar in 1611, but you have trouble understanding it, feel free to find a different translation of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with the different translations of the Bible. So get the New Living Translation or get something that's more modern that you can pick up and understand. And that's really gonna help uh, make the message of the Bible come through in the English language. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And since most of us don't speak those languages, we need some kind of a translation that makes it available to us to understand in modern English. And I think those modern translations help a lot.
1: Those are, those are great tips. Um, I was just imagining someone trying to go back and get one of the Hebrew versions and make that very cool. But, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I know certainly the, the English of uh, KJV and whatnot too is, can be difficult. But I think what you just said are. Those are helpful things to be thinking about, considering, and, um, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, it seems like there's the problem, the issue of accessibility to the scripture uh, doesn't seem like it would be a major issue, although I guess if if people don't know how to find it, it'd be one thing. If people don't know how to get to the digital tools or or the new version Bible app or things like that, uh, that are are out there. But uh, so, you know, if accessibility, though, generally, if you if you if you look a little bit, if you just Google Bible, you'll probably start finding viewers and you will start Bible Hub and all sorts of places like that. But uh, what what is the hurdle then that I you know, what could a, a a ministry leader, a small group leader or just a friend try to help? What's the hurdle? Someone can help help to get their friend over to actually using the tools that are accessible, there is it is it something you mentioned doing a study together or something like that? Is it is it something where someone should be looking to actually uh, to sit down with their friend and, and and find a Bible study for them and work through it? I was also thinking too. I mean, is it would you recommend even for ministry leaders? Should we be hearing more small group sessions or even uh, even even sermon series on actually? the mechanics of how you read the Bible. What, what do you recommend to the ministry leaders that you're interacting with?
2: Not that long ago, I had a, a young minister just starting out. Uh, He's maybe been in ministry for five years. And he asked me, he said, you know, John, you do all this research. If you were starting out in ministry, now, knowing what you know, if you were in my place now, what would you do differently than you did in the early 1990s when you were starting out in ministry? And I, I thought about for that, that for a minute and I said I would do everything differently. In fact, I'd do everything almost exactly the opposite of how I do it now and how I did it then. So uh, let's think about how we present scripture. Even if a pastor is one of the rare people out there who leads a congregation through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we call it expository preaching. Uh, Even if they're one of that rare breed of people, what they tend to do is they tend to uh, come to Acts chapter seven and say, all right, uh, it's the story of Stephen. And so I'm going to do a bunch of research and I'm going to distill the story of Stephen down. I'm going to, find out all the sources and I'm gonna put together the most engaging, interesting, applicable message that I can about Acts chapter seven. And you know, they might be really good at it. They may have done a spectacular job of that. And then at the end of that, they'll give Acts chapter seven to their small group leaders and say, why don't you talk about how to apply this in our day-to-day lives? Now that's not bad. That's actually almost the best way, in my opinion, to do ministry today. But the actual best way to do it is the reverse of that. Have your individuals and small groups read Acts chapter seven ahead of time. Have them do the spade work of figuring out what was going on in the history and the culture. Have them ask questions of the text. And only after they've done all that work do you preach your message on Acts Mm -hmm. chapter seven, which can be exactly the same message. Here's why that's important. What pastors inadvertently do is they take all of the ways that God can speak to us through a passage like Acts chapter 7, and they narrow them down to one particular message from Acts chapter 7 and the way they believe they should apply it for their church. And that's good and what pastors should do, but it doesn't teach people how to take Acts chapter 7, read it, and understand it. And so this isn't just about Acts chapter 7. I mean, it could be about the entire book of Matthew or whatever you want to say. I think people are sometimes inhibited from diving into Scripture and attempting to understand what it has to say for them and how God is speaking to them through Scripture simply because, well, pastor already said what it means, so we're done here. And we're not done here. It's supposed to be the start of a journey with Scripture. So because of that, I think I would do it in reverse from the way I've done it all my life
0: you know it, it's interesting we just uh, we just had mark Moore um, the date of our recording we released his episode on why would I trust the Bible and one of the things I love that he said to our listeners was just read a chapter and apply one thing and I think that that's very it's in the spirit of what you're saying which is invite people to do the work like pastors and leaders we can't work out Muscle wise, for you, like I can't ask Aaron to bench press 300 pounds for me, even though he could. Uh, wow. but, you know, <laughs> I mean I don't know if I can bench press 300 pounds for myself, but, okay, yeah. but yeah. So <laughs> I think, I think what you're even saying from the research and the data is, you know, there's a level of as people engage it, they need a how and they need a support and they need a guide, but they change in the midst of that.
2: I think that's exactly right. I think. If we consider reading the Bible to be a ritual form of, of, of worship, something that we do for God, I think we miss the point entirely. I think the Bible is God's revelation of himself for us. And so it's this gift that we have to open and experience for ourselves. And like you said, nobody can bench press 300 pounds for me. Man, I wish you could. I couldn't do it for myself. Uh, but nevertheless, you can't, you can't hear God's voice for someone. God actually wants to speak to us through scripture. And you can't have that experience if you're so inhibited by everybody around you that you simply don't open God's word and read a chapter and apply one thing from it. Ask God, you know, can you speak to me through this? And then give him a chance to do that. What I found is when people give God a chance to speak to them through scripture, he shows up and they actually experience the voice of God at work in their lives,
1: so I, I got to ask this question: and, uh, Is there, you know, you you were mentioning, you know, some of the not so good things that we are seeing, on the at least the immediate data. And hopefully, it's a hopefully it's just a short term thing. Do you, did you, is, can you can you give us any? I don't know if there's any any uh, data to come that you know about, or things that you're, are coming. Maybe that can give us more. But there are more more hopeful things coming in the, in the 2022 report.
2: Well, by the time uh, this recording is made available to your listeners, they're going to be able to go to stateofthebible.org and download the first three chapters. And chapter one and chapter two point out some pretty big challenges that we're experiencing in America with regard to the Bible. But chapter three returns to a theme that we've been exploring in collaboration with some great researchers at Harvard University's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And they have devised ways to look at, well, what does a good life look like? They call it human flourishing. What do I look like when I'm flourishing? And when we use those lenses, whether it's human flourishing or it's hope or it's stress, whatever it is, when we look at people who are deeply engaging with God's word, they are overwhelmingly doing better and having a better life than those who are not engaging with God's word. And it is just, you know, to use researcher language, there's monotonic variants all over the place. The thing that's (laughs) happening is the Bible is making a difference in individuals' lives, and it just shows up in the data again and again. We're working on some more peer-reviewed journal articles that we hope to have coming out later in the year. So there's so much good news for people who do engage with God's word. And that's why I think it's so important for the church to step up and say where people are struggling, we want to help them where they don't, when they don't know where to start, we're going to help them know where to start when they don't know what it means. We're going to be there to explain what it means in a very relational way. Um, if I could, we were talking before, you know, is, is the ability to, to study the Bible, is it caught, is it taught or caught? And I was, kind of captured by that idea, that whole question. And I remembered um, that really it is, it's caught in a way because I think most people who decide to engage with God's word, they know someone from their past or they remember someone who has been known as a spiritual person who deeply engages with God's word and they remember them fondly. Now, obviously not everybody who reads the Bible is someone that you might remember fondly, but there are plenty of people who are spiritual folks um, who you look at or you remember and you think, I'd love to be like that someday. And so I think in that sense, there's an attractiveness to people who have allowed the Bible to shape their lives, but it's also taught and uh, it's relational. It's not competitive. So it's not a competition. It's not a Bible quiz competition when you pick up scripture and try and learn how to understand it. Oh, I got the answer wrong. And that's, you know, minus 10 points or something. It <laughs> doesn't work like that. I remember when my wife and I were dating, um, I, I had grown up playing somewhat competitive tennis with my brother and we would get together. He would beat me all the time, but he didn't beat me by a lot. It was always competitive and, and we worked really hard at it. And so my, uh, my date wanted to play tennis with me. And so I thought, awesome. And so I showed up out on the tennis court in my standard competitive mode. And, uh, and I, you know, impersonated a right-handed John McEnroe and tossed the ball up and hit my hardest serve and smoked it past her. And (laughs) and I, I won the first game, you know, whatever, 45 to nothing. And, uh, I felt so good about myself and she never, ever wanted to see me again. I mean, (laughs) we had to get past this because what she wanted me to do was hit the ball to her so she could then hit it back. And I think in a lot of ways, scripture engagement can be like that. Uh, Those of us who are way at the Jesus little brother or sister end of Bible engagement, and we understand all this stuff and we've, we've forgotten more about the Bible than our friends know about the Bible. Um, it can be hard for us to step back and meet them where they are. It's not about how well you know the Bible. It's about how much you care for people. Mm. And by caring for people, you connect them to scripture at the point where they have a need or they have an opening to God's word. And we trust God's spirit to speak to them in that moment through his eternal word. And I know that sounds kind of crazy and mystical, but I think we get it backwards. We focus Mm. too much on interpreting the text and handling the text properly and not enough on the people who live in the context where they need God's word so much.
0: So two last questions because I, I just kinda want to follow up. Um, so you're only giving a preview to Aaron, myself, and Nathan, our our producer, but you know, in the past when you talked about the Harvard flourishing, you know, what's it about 2022 that's so positive? Because you've said before that People that read the Bible tend to be less anxious, less depressed. Um, What's one thing that stands out in flourishing that's super tangible and specific to help people understand what you're talking about?
2: I think in the midst of the pandemic, when we first started looking at human flourishing research, uh, what we discovered was that... um, that people who were deeply engaged with God's word were experiencing just as much stress as everybody else was experiencing. So this global pandemic, nobody had been through this stuff before. And their stress levels, using some standard ways of measuring post-traumatic stress, so that's the kinds of measures we're using here, uh, that scripture-engaged people, not scripture-engaged people, all had about the same levels of stress. What was going on for the scripture engaged people that was great was that they were flourishing at a higher level and they had higher levels of hope. What mm. we've noticed now as the pandemic is sort of beginning to wind down uh, is that the stress levels of scripture engaged people have come way down and they are significantly lower than everybody else. And And what we think about in, in social science research is this thing called resiliency or grit. Um, There is a sense in which we see engagement with God's word, helping people be more resilient than their neighbors, helping Mm -hmm. them have hope and perspective that their neighbors don't have. And so, yes, things are going to get back to normal, but that new normal, when it includes God's word, is a much more hopeful, much more connected, much more um, engaged place to be than for people who are not connected with God's word.
0: Hmm. Well, that, that's a good place to end with our last question. What does Jesus have to say about this question? So, um, so as, as we did the last time, Aaron and me are going to answer. And then as usual, um, whether it's a data researcher or a pastor or a missionary, you can clean up whatever mess we left. Does that sound good?
2: You go right ahead.
0: You know, Aaron, I, I'm actually going to go first. Um, so, as I thought about this question, why is it so hard for me to read the Bible? I just want to respond to one thing, what Jesus would have to say, and maybe I'm putting this in his mouth, but um, my one piece of advice to someone that wants to start reading the Bible is don't start with Genesis. Start with the New Testament and the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I agree with John that there's there's going to be places that what's an eye of the needle? You know, what are all these things? But there's also going to be these places where, you know, Jesus is going to talk about anxiety. And we bring this verse up a lot, Matthew six that, you know, look at the birds of the air, you know, there's a lot more that you'll capture and you'll see. And, you know, for people that are struggling with the hypocrisy of the church, with Christianity, I think getting a vision of Jesus in the Bible with what you can understand will just do so much for you. Um, so my only piece of advice is start with the four, the first four books of the New Testament. Um, they're also known as Jesus's biographies: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's my one thing.
1: Uh, no, Peter, I think this is a this has been a great conversation. Thank you, John, so much for uh, being on here with us. And I, uh, you know, I, I I think that obviously Jesus wants us to be reading the Bible. That's how. That's one of the primary ways that God speaks to us is through. Is a word that we have, and um, so I, I think that you know we just we do need to get into it. I do I do love that there are so many tools that we can use now. So um, I think that hopefully someone could take that as an encouragement. You just you know you could even just download the U version app and find out whatever the verse of the day is, and that's just a good place to start. But uh, you know there and then there's a host of other tools to to study. But I, I love that in the state of the Bible, uh, you know, there's the data that we can we can chew on. But there's also those uh, the hopeful nuggets that you were just talking about, too. And, and I, I think I know just from you know my own experience, I know that uh, God definitely speaks through his word and he definitely comforts through his word. And so I think that uh, he wants to continue to do that with, with all of us. So Yeah.
2: I'll
1: pass it on to John. <laughs> you can clean up well, everything thanks. now
2: if you want. <laughs> thanks, Aaron. You know, I, I think about Jesus and his use of scripture. The only scripture he had was the Old Testament. And he lived in a culture where there, were, there was a sizable group of people, a very powerful group of people who kind of beat everybody over the head with their particular interpretation of the Bible. And uh, they, they made it a weight. And a struggle for people to understand and live by the word of God. But what Jesus did, and he did it very consistently, is he sought to kind of excavate God's word from the limitations and the errors that he saw in the culture around them so that people could experience God's love and compassion. I mean, he introduces his ministry in Nazareth saying he's there to bind up the brokenhearted, to Mm. set captives at liberty he always had a hopeful message. He invited people out in a field to look at the birds of the air and the flowers in the field and see how beautiful they were and how God cared for them. And then he used this great little expression in Hebrew called Wahomer. How much the more does God love you? If he cares that much for a little bird that sells for a penny at, a, at, at the temple for sacrifice, how much more does he care for you? And I think what Jesus would want people to know is that the Bible is the story of how much he cares for you, no matter Mm -hmm. what you're facing. And he would invite you to experience scripture as an open invitation to a fuller life with God than you'd have apart from him.
0: Wow. What a powerful place to close. Uh, You can find out more about uh, the the Bible at uh, org. Am I correct on that? Yeah. And then, um, you can find, uh, John, you're, you're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn. Those are kind of your two primary spots, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, he's a great follow. John, I, um, I'm so glad our paths crossed. I'm so glad. I I think this was a really encouraging episode. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to see you, Peter and Aaron. Great to meet you. Thanks for having a great conversation about the Bible.
0: As we close this episode, you can find out more about the Why Got Why podcast at whygotwhypodcast.com. There you can subscribe and you'll get great episodes like this one and then also uh, more than that. So we hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.